I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. You have a sacred story. If you missed the pod episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. When we meet someone, or when someone meets us, quite often a question is asked is, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about who you are. And typically we answer that by telling people what we do for a living, or are we married? Do we have kids? Those are kind of the basic things when we're first getting to know someone. But in truth, if we ask the question, who are you? A big part of the answer to that includes things like, where were you born? When were you born? Because here's the truth, every one of us were born into a specific time, into a specific family, into a specific nation, in a specific culture, in a specific race. We, we come into this world with a story that's already happening. That's what's fascinating about our lives. None of us actually have anything to do with our being born. It just, it's something that happens. And then we step into this world and recognize, wow, I have stepped into this story that's already happening. And now it's becoming my story. That part of the story, where we were born, the family in which we were born, the culture, all of those things are what Dallas Willard calls our circle of origin. And by that, we're talking specifically about that family that raised us. And by family, I want to put that in quotes because families look very different. They're not always a mom and dad and 2.3 kids. But that place that in which we were raised, that is the circle of origin. And I recognize that in my own life. When I think about my own story, I realize that I am the child and will be forever the child of Calvin and Wanda Smith. My Parents met in 1948. My dad had come back from World War II. He was in the Navy. He was working in a bank. My mom was working in the same building in Louisville, Kentucky. And there they met each other, and I presume they said hubba hubba when they met. They actually took a shine to each other. And they were married a year later, and a year after that had my sister Vicki, and then a few years later my brother Mike, and then I am the baby of the family. And I was born in Louisville, Kentucky as well, but then was raised in Denver, which is what I really remember. I don't remember Louisville because we moved when I was four. But when I think about my circle of origin, my first thought is to those people because they're really important in our story. And that's true of you. You were a first child, a middle child, baby of the family. Maybe you're an only child. Perhaps you were adopted. Maybe you had parents who stayed married. Happily, maybe you had parents who were divorced. Perhaps you had loving, caring parents who were very 
present and involved. Or maybe you had absent parents or abusive parents. Maybe you grew up rather poor or middle class or wealthy. All of these are a part of your story. They're significant. They form who we are. And again, as I said, it isn't something that we have much control over. It's just this, is, this was the circle of origin in which I was raised. But here's what's important. Dallas goes on to say that what we really long for, and I would say is a deep longing in our souls, is for a circle of sufficiency. And the first place we look for that is in our circle of origin. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I say this in The Good Beautiful God on page 163. We long for the assurance that someone is for us. That's what it means to have a circle of sufficiency. Someone or a couple of someones who are for us. That's a deep longing of the soul. And I talked about that in the book earlier when I talked about the, the need to be desired, the need to be loved. But that's a huge part of our story. We recognize that that's what's happening as we're growing and developing. We may not understand it when we're very young, but it's happening all the time. I say this in the book, I not only have my father's eyes, but I carry in myself how he looked at me with those eyes. And both are equally determinative of how I see myself. That's the truth. I recognize that the, the DNA of my mother and father are in me. And I can say, yeah, I have my father's eyes. But equally important is, how did my father see me with his eyes? Did he see me with eyes of love? Were they judgmental? In my case, my dad was a little bit of both. <laughs> but nonetheless, I recognize the impact that this circle of origin had on me because I was always looking for a circle of sufficiency. What happens when we're writing the story of our lives is that we recognize that as we're growing and developing, the people in our lives have a deep impact on us. And Dallas puts it this way, what we encounter in other people is occasionally assault or withdrawal. Assault or withdrawal. He puts those two categories together, and this is what Dallas writes in Renovation of the Heart. We assault others when we act against what is good for them and cause them harm or pain. We withdraw from someone when we regard their well-being as matters of indifference. So, for example, if we were bullied or abused or physically harmed or verbally harmed, that's assault. And those things happen to us in our stories. That's assault. But there's also maybe some experiences we had where we weren't picked for something. We weren't invited for something. We weren't asked to be a part of something. We didn't get chosen or we were left alone. Or perhaps the death of one or both of our parents or our parents divorced. Those can form withdrawal where the person isn't actually there for us. It isn't that they're intentionally trying to harm us, but withdrawal is harmful to us. So whether it's assault or withdrawal, they're both equally damaging to us as we're shaping the story of who we are. One of the things that was helpful to me in my own journey, particularly when I was doing some counseling myself when I was in therapy, is learning the difference between big T and small t trauma. Some of the trauma that we experience in our lives is big T trauma. 
Those would be things like physical assault, divorce, death. Those things loom very large for us. The impact is very noticeable. It hits us hard. And that's why we refer to those as a big T trauma. But a lot of our trauma is small T trauma. Things like, I mentioned, not being selected for something. Or maybe your family moved a lot when you were young. That was the case in my family, but not for me. So my older sister, Vicki, who's 10 years older than me, she experienced our family moving several times when she was young. So she had to change schools and so forth. I didn't experience that. But that was a small t trauma for her. She had to learn how to make new friends and overcome shyness and all those barriers. It was a small t trauma, but it was a trauma. And here's the point. A lot of small t trauma can create a large T trauma kind of impact on us. And that was helpful for me as I began to look at the story of my own life to recognize I didn't have large T trauma in my own life, but there were, as are, there are for many of us, a lot of small T trauma, and they do, they do add up. They have a cumulative effect. I write this in The Good and Beautiful You. A million little things have happened to you, and you've shaped them into a story. The question is, is the story we're telling about ourselves true or false? This is the fascinating thing about the human person. All these things are happening to us, but what really matters is what is the story that we're telling ourselves about our lives, about ourselves, about who we are, about who God is, and all of these things. We're constantly forming a story. So I think there are two false narratives, ones that I have heard a lot, and I've seen to some extent even in my own life. The first one is, I am what others have done to me. Now, this narrative is a way of saying, look, everything that has happened to me has impacted me, and I am nothing more than the sum of all these things that have happened to me. And typically, these are going to be negative things. I am what others have done to me. To see ourselves as our story is to ultimize our story, Adrian von Kahn would say. To ultimize it, to say, I am this story. And that's actually a false narrative. The other false narrative is to say, well, my past has nothing to do with me. And this is when we try to escape or downplay the impact of our story on our lives. And von Kahn would say this is to minimize our story. So two ways we can form narratives are both false. One is to ultimize it and say, well, I'm just this thing. These things happen to me, and this has become the major headline of my life. The way I see myself is this. No, Von Kahn would say, that's ultimizing your story. But the opposite is also true. Say, well, it just didn't have anything to do with me. Yeah, my dad died when I was young, or my parents divorced, or I was neglected, whatever. But it doesn't matter. Mm, No, it did. You, you can try to minimize it, but it's there. It's a part of your story. David Brooks says this, When we form our identity, we're telling stories about ourselves. That story becomes our identity, and it becomes the way we see the world. And if you can change the story you tell about yourself, you can change the way you see the world. Now, what I love about that quote, there's several things I love about that quote, But the thing that stands out to me is this. Whenever I meet someone, it doesn't take me too long 
to figure out how they see themselves and the world. It's fairly easy to see, and I'm sure others can do it with me as well, because I've formed a story of my life. Others form that story of who they are. And what David Brooks is saying is then that informs and shapes the way we see the rest of the world. But another thing I love about this quote is he's saying, and if you can change the story, and if you can change the story, meaning we can change the story we tell about ourselves. And when we do that, we also change the way in which we see the world. What I've discovered in this through lots of just general living, but also listening to people's lives, certainly in in pastoral counseling, in spiritual direction, you hear stories. And one of the things that has become very clear to me is that for all of us, our circles of origin, no matter how strong, ultimately fail to provide all the deep needs of the soul. I came from a really good family. That's the truth. I mean, I, there's the old adage, you know, some people were born on third base and think they hit a triple. Well, I was born on third base, and I don't presume to believe I hit a triple. I was really blessed to be raised in a home where I had two loving parents. They stayed married. They loved each other. They loved me and my siblings, and we had financial resources to do things. And it, I was raised in a home that was Christian. They, the church and the Christian faith was provided for me. Wonderful, right? My circle of origin was a real circle of sufficiency, but my parents were also human. And so we have to come to that point where we recognize that and realize that the deepest needs of our soul really can't be met by that, even if we were blessed. And I also believe this, true healing comes from the one who is truly sufficient, from the one whose love never fails. Because the truly sufficient circle is the Trinity. Dallas would say, love comes from God. That must be our unshakable circle of sufficiency. And that's what I found in my own journey, that when I recognize that I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom, when I immerse myself in Trinitarian reality, oh my, that's when I begin to see just how profound it is to live in the love of God. It's really, it's, it's really amazing. It's, it's so wonderful just to live into that reality. One of my favorite stories about my friend Rich Mullins, who passed away from a car accident 25 years ago. But Rich, after he left Friends University, he was a student at Friends. He lived with my wife and I in our attic apartment. But he graduated and went to a Native American reservation because his passion was to teach music to Native American kids. And while he was there, one day he went into the elementary school, and the teacher was teaching English. It was like a Friday, I think, if I remember how he told the story. And one thing that she did every Friday was to have the kids write a story. They would collectively write a story. And one of the students in the class got to be the main character, got to be the protagonist. And so the kids would love to be the main character in the story. So Rich is there that day on a Friday. And as the teacher goes up to the board and all the students know, oh, here it comes. They're going to write the story. He said there was a little boy, this Native American boy in the front row with his hands up. He's, he's just pulling himself out of his seat. He's so excited. And he keeps saying over and over, teacher, write me into your story. Write me into your story. 
And Rich said he had an epiphany, that he just melted, and he was overwhelmed with the prayer of his heart, which was, Jesus, write me into your story. And that became the line of one of the last songs that Rich ever wrote, simply called Jesus, and it's on the album called the Jesus Album. But on that album, in that song, he has those words, Jesus, write me into your story. Whisper it to me. Tell me I'm yours. Because that was the deep longing of his heart. David Denborough says this, The ways in which we understand our stories make all the difference. If we tell our stories that emphasize only desolation, then we become weaker. Alternatively, we can tell our stories in ways that make us stronger. What he's saying is, how do we tell our stories? That's really important, how we tell our stories. Look, here's the truth. In all of our lives, there are events, there are moments that make us wince or weep. Those that bring heartache, those that bring sorrow, those that bring guilt or shame. But there are also other moments, other events, moments of beauty, of kindness, of courage, and of triumph. We must change the headline of our lives. We must reclaim our storytelling rights and give them to Jesus, the true author and perfecter of our stories. That's exactly what Rich was asking for. Jesus, write me into your story. I'm a big fan of the hymns, and one of my favorite hymns is Blessed Assurance, written by a woman named Fanny Crosby. And the story, the backstory of Fanny Crosby, who was born in 1820, lived to 1915, was she was born blind. So here's this little girl born blind. And if, if that's all I tell you about her story, you're going to write a certain kind of story about what's going to happen with her life. And it was a difficult life, but at a certain point in her 20s, she had this conversion experience, and she fell in love with Jesus. And she said, around the age of 30, she said, I feel a hundred hymns in my head. The Lord has given me a purpose in my life. Jesus came into her life and started writing a different story. Not, oh, this is just a little girl who's born blind. She suddenly had this incredible purpose and this passion. And what's wonderful is, I love how she said, I feel a hundred hymns in my head. Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns, one of which is Blessed Assurance. And just listen to the words, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Did you hear what she, she wrote? This is my story. The Christ story, the Christ event becomes our story. Here's the truth about who you are. And you can put this in first person. That's how I like to do it. And I say it this way. In Christ, I am a divinely designed, deeply desired, lavishly loved, fully forgiven, sacred story of grace. That bears repeating. In Christ, I am 
a divinely designed, deeply desired, lavishly loved, fully forgiven, sacred story of grace. I just hope that you would take those words and make them the headline of your life, that you could say with blessed assurance, in Christ I'm a divinely designed, deeply desired, lavishly loved, fully forgiven, sacred story of grace, because that is who you are. And I pray that you would not only see it for you, but that you would see each other that way. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hey folks, I want to let you know about a recent development here at Friends University where I teach. We have an undergraduate degree program in Christian spiritual formation, a Bachelor of Arts degree, that's both a first and a second major. Now, I teach in this program, as well as some other amazing professors, and I am pleased to announce that Friends University is offering an amazing scholarship of up to $18,000 per year to students interested in studying Christian formation as a part of their college experience. In addition to this amazing scholarship, there'll be hands-on learning with ministry leaders, working with me and others, and great opportunities for internships. Again, this is for both a first major, those who plan on going into ministry, as well as those seeking it as a second major, meaning those who are going to become accountants or therapists or graphic designers or teachers or engineers, any number of other vocations, but they also want to grow in their spiritual lives while in college and get a pretty big scholarship to help pay for college. So if you know someone who would benefit from a degree like this, check out our website, apprenticeinstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. Again, apprenticeinstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. Things above.